Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear about the giant from Twin Peaks in a story called It is happening again. That and more. But first, folks, the next Risk live show in Los Angeles is on October 18th at the Hotel Cafe at 7 p.m. And I have to say, the last one was one of the best nights of Risk in Los Angeles ever. David Crabb is kicking ass with the show out there. I listened to the recording of the September show while I was at the gym last week, and at one point I gasped in a way that scared people around me. And then at one point I was on an abs machine and <laughs> burst out into uncontrollable laughter that like rang throughout the whole room. And then at one point I had tears in my eyes. <laughs> I'm crying, trying to, you know, uh, whatever they call that, the I don't know. I don't know the names of the goddamn things. Anyway, David is a great host. <laughs> he's a great story coach, too, and show producer. Of course, you know he's a great storyteller. And at the Hotel Cafe, they love us. So do yourself a favor and don't miss the October 18th show at the Hotel Cafe at 7 p.m. Tickets for seeing the show in person or via live stream are always at risk-show.com slash tour. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now here's the show. Whoa, whoa. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Angelo Badalamenti behind me now. And we're calling this week's episode Lovestruck. Now, this is a special episode, folks, because it is the first episode of our 14th season. <laughs> We completed our 13th year of producing the podcast last week, and we begin our 14th year with this episode you're listening to right now. I mean, it is hard to process that we've made it this far, especially after the really rough years we've just been through. But we're better than ever. And it's because of three things. It's because our staff is just so devoted 
gives so much tender loving care to this work and that our storytellers are so courageous and generous with their creativity and their time and energy and that you our listeners are so supportive and dedicated i'll tell you something We've been talking to podcasting industry folks all year, and one of the consistent refrains we hear from analysts, like people who study podcasts, is that we are a rare, rare exception to the rule for being a podcast that has lasted this long with such a large, stable, consistent number of people listening. (laughs) So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And in honor of all that, I'm excited because this is a fucking fantastic episode today. (laughs) In a little bit, we're going to hear from Sam Dingman, the host and producer of the remarkable podcast, Family Ghosts. I am personally a big fan. But before that, we're going to hear from Adrian Bain. Now, I want to play you a clip (laughs) of the last time that Adrian was on the show. She told a story at the Risk Live show at Caveat in New York in March of 2019. It was a story we called There Will Be Blood because it was about how one night when Adrian was having sex with a fella, an accident occurred causing lots of blood loss and she got right up to the point in the story where she and the fella were catching a cab to go to the hospital When this happened in the theater. We get out of the cab. We tip the cab driver. And, because he's got a lot to clean up. And... Are you okay? Theo. Theo, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Hey, folks. This is Kevin. Let me explain what happened. At this particular point, when Adrian was sharing the story that night in New York, one of the members of the audience sitting close to the stage fainted, and it turned out fine. Uh, The audience was super, super helpful. We were able to, you know, get him some juice and get him up and had an EMT arrive to take him away and make double, triple sure he was totally okay. This is the third time someone has fainted at a Risk live show. I know one of the times, we don't know what it was all about, but two of the times there was blood in the stories. And, you know, that's just the thing, is the risk, part of the risk of listening or attending the live shows is that if you're squeamish, Those bodily fluids, they do have a way of showing up in stories because of the way that they show up in life. So anyway, uh, let's get back to the story. You can hear how we handled it from there. Okay. Is is everything okay with them back there now? It looks like they're getting help back there now. Um, okay. (laughs) Should I go on? Figure it out. We're good. We're good. We're good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh God. Whew, there's nothing like scaring men. Whew. 
So we go into the hospital. <laughs> so yeah, remember when that happened? Well, we're about to hear another story from that Adrian Bain. This was her triumphal return to the Risk Live show at Caveat in New York three years later. You can find her on Instagram at Adrian Bain, and here she is now with a story we call There Will Be More Blood. So I believe that every family, no matter how dysfunctional, will always unite around a common enemy. That could be like a kooky aunt or an unstable uncle, but for me and my family, it was our neighbor, Debbie. Now, Debbie was this bulldog of a woman. She had very short, spiky hair. She was always on her lawnmower, and she was always griping about something that we were doing, like... We're driving down the road too fast, or our dog is barking too loud, or my sister is in a tree too high. And just, my family would always, you know, we had our own dynamics, but we loved sitting around the table and griping about Debbie. And I grew up in a very small, I can't even call it a town, I recently discovered. I grew up in a hamlet, which means that there are less than 100 people in the area, and there's no central place of worship but in Old Chatham, New York, there is one bar. Very small area. I couldn't just like go down the street and hang out with other kids my own age. I had more chickens than neighbors. And so fortunately that meant that I got to hang out with my two little sisters. Now I am the oldest, which means I'm very comfortable at telling other people what to do. As a four-year-old, my nickname was Napoleana because I was bossy and yiddle. <laughs> So the people that I obviously bossed around the most were my two sisters, Regina and Jessica. Regina is three years younger than me. Jess is 10 years younger than me. We don't care about Jessica in this story. Regina and I are very, very different people. I was obviously the theater kid. She was an amazing soccer player. I listened to musicals pretty exclusively until the age of 18, and Regina would listen to only country music. I have to dye my hair for it to be like a pretty color, whereas Regina naturally grows this long, beautiful, pin-straight, platinum blonde hair. Like, you look at it and you hear a harp play. It's just, <laughs> Regina's the pretty one. So we were very different, and she was the one that I for sure bossed around the most. Like, I would open Christmas presents for her, or if we were going on a car ride, I would tell her where she was going to sit. And if you think I am wearing her dress tonight, you are correct. I took all of her clothes the moment we were kind of the same size. So for a very long time, I was very much that overbearing older sister. And then one day, she slipped like an Eddie Izzard joke into like a casual conversation. And I was like, oh my God, you are hilarious. 
And we got to like joke around together. So now it was more like jokey, bossy, and we took all of our aggression out on Jess anyways. Um, So, you know, we bonded in like very typical sister ways. We would binge watch Desperate Housewives. We would gripe about Debbie. Just like very regular, you know, we live in the country and we have nothing else better to do. Because I personally, like having two sisters, I don't love it when people talk about friends. And they're like, ugh. She's like a sister to me. Because I've pushed my youngest sister off a computer chair because it's my turn to play Frogger. Like, I wouldn't do that to a friend. And then, you know, Regina would be like, you fuck, you suck. Like, what is wrong with you? And I'd be like, do you want to get ice cream? Like, siblings just don't take anything personally. Like, you get over anything really, really quickly. And you can really push that to the limit. And boy, did we. So it's December 9th, 2005. And it is the first snow day deep in upstate New York. So lots of snow days. And Regina and I are home alone. My mom is working at Chatham Flowers. My dad is at the nursery. My parents are horticulturists, which means that money does grow on trees, but only six months out of the year. So they were both doing their thing. My dad had Jess. I'm like 15, Regina's 11. We're like, this is the best day ever. Like, so we're just doing our own thing. I'm playing The Sims. Regina's making hot chocolate. We're like in our best like cozy sweaters. And at like around probably noon, one thing that we like loved doing was just going outside and seeing how much snow measured. So Regina went outside, she put her boots and socks on, and I, being the older sister that I am, locked her out of the house. Like that's just the natural next step. And even as a 15 year old, they're like, this is a little immature, but still. So I lock her out of the house, you know, she's, her back is to me. And um, once she recognizes that she's been locked out, she's like, no, no, no. So she runs up on the door and she's like, banging on it and the window is rattling. And so then she like sprints to the back to get into the house through the back way. And I'm like, ha ha, I'm gonna chase her. I'm just like buzzed up on hot chocolate and adrenaline. And I'm like, ha ha And so I open the door and I run out and I don't have any socks or shoes on so I don't even get to like our side yard. I turn around and the door is still open and I see Regina, soccer player. She has sprinted through the house and she is here to strike revenge and lock me out of the house as well as she should. So I'm like, oh, no, no, no. So I'm running up, and as I'm running, I notice that there is someone plowing our driveway, and I'm like, okay, I'm running, I'm running. So she grabs the door, and I go to push on it, and we're both pushing on it, but instead of wood, I hit glass, and my hand goes through the window. And it's so cold and quiet that we can hear the snowfall. And I don't feel anything, but my hand is very close to Regina's face and I see blood on the glass. And I'm like, you can't stay here forever. So I close my eyes, I twist my arm, I pull it out, I do a bloody Jackson Pollock and I start running towards the snowplow man and I blink and when I open my eyes, I see that Regina has already started running towards this man. Her hair is billowing in the wind like a horse's mane because she needs to get help for her sister. So she runs up to the snowplow man and he just sees these two girls screaming and a trail of blood and all he wanted to do that day was plow snow. So he's like, what is happening? So he just 
puts it all together, and he turns off his engine, and he jumps off, and he ushers us back into the house, and he tag teams with Regina. He looks at her, and he's like, okay, go get a towel. And Regina, in the heat of the moment, and her little 11-year-old brain goes, well, what kind of towel? <laughs> like, like a bath towel, like a beach towel, like a, like a hand towel, like what kind of? And he's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> just get a big towel, the biggest towel you can find, get a big towel. So she gets a towel, he wraps around my arm and I'm like holding it up over at my head and he's like, okay, Regina, call 911. So she's like, 911, 689, I'll be a turnpike. My sister put her hand through a window and she hangs up and he's like, okay, call the closest relative. And she's like, okay, 766-9820, she calls my dad. And it rings and it rings. And this whole time I hear the Sims music just playing <laughs> on repeat. And I'm like, what is happening? Like, I don't know how bad this is, but this is not how I was expecting today to go. And so it rings, Joe here. Uh, Dad, Regina's literally trying to downplay the entire situation. Um, Adrian cut herself. And my dad is like, gee, you know where the Band-Aids are. And she's like, well, it's like kind of, and before she could even finish the sentence, my dad hears the sirens and he's like, oh, oh, okay, okay. So he hangs up, he drops Jess off at my grandmother's house right next door and he books it back. And by the time my dad has arrived at our house, I'm already in the ambulance. And so my dad and Regina are going to come with me in the ambulance and she notices that I don't have socks on. So she runs into her bedroom and she grabs her favorite chunky L.L. Bean socks with horses on them and she puts them on my feet and we go off to the hospital. They put me under and when I come out, I learn a lot of information. Um, I had cut a nerve, an artery, and a tendon. I was this close to that really big one. And apparently it was such a clean cut that they took a photo of it before they stitched me up. And I'm in a textbook somewhere. So, and that was kind of like why I didn't feel anything. That's the beauty of cutting a nerve is you don't really feel any pain. So then my mom comes and she's like got a whole like day bag for me because, you know, She found out about everything, and she's like, well, the crazy thing is, is that the snowplow man, his name is Ryan. I work with him during the summertime at a landscaping company, and he is training to be an EMT. So out of small town, probability of anybody being around there at that moment is the only time that I've been like, okay, someone is looking out. And then the other thing that she says is, you know, it was really weird because when I got home, there wasn't any mess. Like, I was expecting to see kind of a big mess. Like, there was definitely a hole in the window, but other than that, it was totally cleaned up. And we find out shortly after that Debbie had cleaned up the mess. She heard the sirens. She saw the ambulance. She let herself in. But, um, but she cleaned up my blood. And that's something that I would never want my parents to have to do. And I've never thanked her for it. Because a little while later, she stole her cat. 
and she just kind of kept on with her freaking Debbie antics. And as a 30-year-old woman who pays taxes, I'm still a little afraid of her. But, like, Regina and I were like, whatever. Like, there was never a moment of resentment between the two of us, even though we got as close as we could to death. I was like, no, it's cool. It's totally fine. I had this really weird little, like, seal paw cast, and she would, like, help me put my coat on because it's still very cold. And this is the thing is, like, Debbie can do one nice thing, and she's still, like, not a great neighbor. But sisters, siblings have an unbreakable bond. So these days, Regina has two little girls of her own, Emma and Charlotte. And I'll go over to her house, and I'll be like, so, Regina, when do I get to tell Emma, she's four, the cautionary tale of the time you shoved my hand through a window? She's like, Adrian, I did not shove your hand through a window. And I'm like, I got a nerve and artery attendant. And she's like, Adrian, you're being dramatic. And I'm like, do you want to get ice cream? Thank you so much. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance. There's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. We're back. My favorite character from Twin Peaks is the giant. Are there any Twin Peaks fans in the house? Okay. 
If you have not seen Twin Peaks, uh, we don't have to go into too much detail. This is the deal with the giant. He's kind of a manifestation of the intuition of the main character. The main character is trying to solve this mystery surrounding a murder, and he's having a hard time. The, the role of the giant is that all the clues are starting to converge and another similar murder is about to happen and the giant appears to the main character and he says, it is happening again. And he's like, I get it. And then he goes and he solves the mystery. That giant has always been very appealing to me because I have never been able to trust my intuition, particularly when it comes to relationships. Because of some stuff from childhood, it's, it's very hard for me to like trust people, including myself. And when it comes to love, that is very, very acute. And the way that I have tried to solve that for myself in my life is to think like, well, if I'm making choices based on whether this is part of a, a good story, then it maybe it's the right choice. And particularly when it comes to Romance, I think, well, everybody loves love stories. If you're part of a love story, you must be making good choices. So about 12 years ago, I'm in my first long-term relationship, and my girlfriend comes to me, and she says, I have to tell you something. I am no longer attracted to you. And I think, that's fair. I have gained a good bit of weight recently, I can fix this. So I say, no problem. I'm on it. And I start going to the gym every day. And I lose a little bit of weight, but it's, we're really not getting anywhere. And a few months go by, and she sits me down again, and she says, I, I should have been more clear. It's not anything to do with your body. It's that you are a man and I would like to be dating a woman. So I said, so it's kind of about my body. <laughs> and she was like, that is fair. And we broke up. And I was really, really distraught. And a few weeks later, I had this dream. And in the dream, there was this girl from high school who I'm going to call Ellen. And I had been in love with Ellen all through high school. And in the dream, she came to visit me in New York. And she was wearing this brown dress with golden flowers on it. We went up onto the roof of an apartment building and we talked all night. And at the conclusion of this conversation, we looked at each other and we said, it was supposed to be us all along. And then I woke up and I was like, boy. Now that's a love story. And then, a couple weeks after that, my phone rings, and it's Ellen. And she says, I am coming to New York. I would like to see you. So she comes to New York, we get together, she's wearing the brown dress with the golden flowers. We go to the roof of an apartment building. We talk for several hours, and at the conclusion of that conversation, we say to each other, it was supposed to be us all along. <laughs> and we fall in love, 
And several years go by, and I think I figured it out. But as time goes by, it starts to become clear that there are some crucial things that, that we don't have in common, Ellen and me. One thing is that she is an outside person, which means that she likes to do activities outside of buildings and houses. Um, one of these activities is camping. I do not like camping. Um, whenever she would say, hey, do you want to go camping? I would say, no, I do not want to go camping. I have had a long week. I have been doing work that makes me feel completely separated from myself. And you're asking me if I would like to go spend a weekend somewhere where it hurts to sleep. And then she would look sad and I would be like, oh no, she's gonna leave. And I would say, let's go camping. It'll be fine. I'm more of an inside sort of person. I work in podcasting, so I spend most of my time in recording studios, which don't have windows, <laughs> and actually are scientifically engineered to deny the existence of outside sound. <laughs> so that's how big an incongruity that was. There was another uh, sort of critical difference between me and Ellen that eventually became clear which actually started with something we have in common, which is that we're both attracted to women. <laughs> so she says, you know, I, I think I need to explore the fact that I'm attracted to women. So we decide, okay, well, um, maybe we could have an open relationship, which is not, had not been on my personal love story map. It's a perfectly valid and beautiful choice for some people, but it's not what I envisioned for myself. But I, I thought, okay, let's, let's give it a try. I guess this is the romantic equivalent of going camping. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we both start uh, going on dates with other people. And we have, I would say, different experiences with that. I, for example, went on a date with a woman who was lovely, very nice, and we went back to her apartment, and I was too insecure uh, physically for anything to happen. So we spent maybe an hour or so looking at a book of Nan Golden photographs, um, which feature people who are in the throes of various forms of trauma. <laughs> and then she said, you know what, maybe why don't we just go to bed? I was like, that sounds good. So I lay down next to her on her bed, and her cat bit my toe. <laughs> a little after that, uh, Ellen went on a date, and she came back, and I said, so, how was it? And she said, oh, well, I experienced a deep, intimate connection unlike anything I've ever felt before. And I don't think it's an experience I could ever have with a man. So this is one of those moments where if I could have had a giant say to me, it is happening again. <laughs> I would have appreciated that. But I have no giant. I have my broken Sam intuition 
And so in this moment, I looked deep within myself and I thought, you should propose to Ellen. <laughs> that will fix this. Because if this is happening, but you end up getting married, boy, now that's a love story. So there's an opportunity to kind of deepen my engagement with Ellen's family upcoming, which is that I get invited to go to this family reunion. And I'm like, well, that, that's a good idea. I'll, I'll meet the other folks in the family, and maybe there'll be some, some people there that I connect with. Upon arrival, it becomes clear that uh, this is a horde of outside people. <laughs> they have special pants for hiking. <laughs> and, and because they are kind and inclusive folks, they ask if I would like to go on a hike with them. And I am not wearing special hiking pants. I am wearing, it's actually remarkably similar to what I'm wearing tonight, a dress button-down and dress shoes, because I was trying to make a good impression. Uh, but I'm, I'm trying to be game for all of this, and I say, you know what? I would love to go on a hike. Let's, let's do it. So we set off on this hike, and it starts off actually pretty well. We get to the top of this mountain. So that's pretty amazing. I made it to the top of a mountain. Thank you. I'm like, that's... <laughs> probably a good sign. Uh, it's sort of hiking 101, but um, I did it. You know, I did it. So that's good. Wasn't even wearing the right shoes. Um, but then this kind of crazy thing happens where we're on top of the mountain and these black clouds roll in very suddenly. And the hardest, heaviest rain that I have ever felt just, it's like a hatch opens in the sky and it's like just like torrential downpour. Now for Ellen's family, no problem. Waterproof pants, hiking ponchos, they make those. They're like, time to keep going with the hike. And I'm like, uh, point of order, a hatch has opened in the sky. So one of Ellen's cousins, very helpful, says, don't worry about it. And he opens his bag and he hands me an umbrella. So I'm like, great. It's only one way for me to look more ridiculous. I guess I'll do the rest of this hike like that um, girl on the front of the uh, salt container. <laughs> Just skipping through puddles on top of a mountain. So I open the umbrella, and we begin making our way down the mountain. And we've gone just a few steps when all of a sudden, it's like the hand of God reaches out of the sky, grabs the top of the umbrella, lifts it into the air, and then throws me to the ground. And I hear this giant kapow, and I see white light flashing by my peripheral vision. And then I bounce back up off the ground, and I, all my vision has gone into black and white, and I'm completely confused and disoriented, and all I can hear is another one of Ellen's cousins saying this thing I will never forget. It was, drop the fucking umbrella! <laughs> I'm like, got it! So I spike the umbrella to the ground. There is smoke coming off the top of it. 
and I realize that I have just been struck by lightning. <laughs> now, when you are an inside person, something people sometimes say to you is, why are you afraid of going outside? You think you're gonna get struck by lightning? So, miraculously, thankfully, I am fine. Everybody else is fine. I really got my bell rung by that bolt of lightning that hit me. But I, I was otherwise uninjured. And we get back to the, the house where we were staying, and Ellen and I are lying next to each other, and the shock is kind of fading, as it were. Um, and... <laughs> I, I think to myself, like, well, now this, this is a sign. Because if we can get through this, we can get through anything! <laughs> Ellen has a different takeaway from the event. And not long after that, she informs me that it is time for her to go investigate her attraction to women. So we break up. And I am once again very distraught. But the thing is, when you get struck by lightning, you really want it to mean something. <laughs> or at least I do. <laughs> I kind of want everything to mean something. So I start talking about it at storytelling shows but I can't really piece together why it matters so much to me. And I tell the story of getting struck by lightning at this one show, and I, I finish, and I get off the stage, and this woman appears out of the crowd of people, and she says, hey, are you a Buddhist? And I say, no. <laughs> What's about to happen? And she says, listen, what happened to you is called a darshan. It's a blessing. It means that you are a holder of light. And then she disappears. <laughs> and I'm like, wait! What does that mean? I don't know what that means! It's beautiful, but I don't know what it means! And so I'm kind of turning this over in my head, and months go by, and... I'm thinking, well, stories have always been the thing that I use to kind of give myself a position and a way of understanding my life. And I haven't been to a storytelling show in a long time. So one night I'm coming home from work and I, just on the spur of the moment, I think, you know, maybe I should, I'll go to a show tonight. And I think, I'll go to one of my favorite shows. It's actually a show you guys might have heard of. It's called Risk. Um, and it was in this very room. So I, I come into the show, and I'm standing right over there by that pillar, and this woman is telling a story on the stage. And I'm like, she is very beautiful. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, keep it together. And she tells this story, and there's a lot of blood in the story, and at one point in the story, somebody faints! Right here in the front row. They just fall out. 
And now, thankfully, that person was okay. They were safely escorted out of the theater. But in one of the most amazing moments I have ever seen in a performance venue, everybody watches this person leave and then their heads snap back towards the stage and they're like, finish the story. <laughs> and I'm like, this is interesting. This, this woman understands storytelling. I gotta talk to her. I gotta talk to her. But I'm still feeling a little too heartbroken. And after the show, I, I literally walk up just behind her and I'm like, I'll tap her on the shoulder. I can't, I can't, I can't. And I run away. But then, a few months later, we're having a show uh, for my podcast, Family Ghosts, again, here in this room, on this stage. And we get to the end of the show and the lights come up and the woman from the blood story is there. And I'm like, she's here. I have to talk to her. So we're at a bar afterwards, and I go up to her and I say, uh, are you Adrian? And she's like, what? Yes. And I say, I saw you do the most unbelievable thing I have ever seen at a storytelling show, and I have to talk to you about it. And she says, I was just going to come up to you and tell you how much I enjoyed your show. And I was like, maybe we should go on a date. Whoop. Thankfully, she said yes. So we go on a date, and I'm like, okay, okay, you can't mess this up. You can't mess this up. And we're sitting there on the date, and the first thing I say is, one time I was in a relationship with my high school sweetheart, and we got into an open relationship, and it was really awkward. I'm like, that was not a good opening line. <laughs> but it was me. And finally, in that moment, I thought like, well... If she doesn't like that, I guess I will just count this as another romantic screw-up. But Adrian was into it. She was like, tell me everything. And we spent six hours that night just telling each other stories. And at the end of the night, I said, would it be okay if I kiss you? And she said, yes. And I kissed her, and it was a really good kiss. And I said out loud, oh no. <laughs> and she was like, is that bad? And I was like, it's good, I have to go. <laughs> so we start dating and it's really, really amazing. And then we've been together for just like a couple of weeks and a global pandemic breaks out. And she says, listen, I am gonna escape upstate. Uh, my family friends have this little cottage we can stay in. Do you wanna come? And I'm like, yes, let's do it, let's go. And I get up there and I realize, uh-oh, all that we're gonna be able to do during this pandemic is eat, I'm gonna gain all this weight again, and also natural disaster, that didn't work out last time I was in a relationship. Oh no, oh no. So I start running every day again on this mountain road just at the foot of the cottage and it's going okay. Adrian and I are getting along great and the world is collapsing around us but as long as I'm doing these runs, I tell myself like, nothing can go wrong, nothing can go wrong, nothing can go wrong. And one day I'm running and 
the blackest clouds you've ever seen roll in. And it's like a hatch opens up in the sky and torrential rain begins to fall and lightning starts to streak across the sky and I hear the giant's voice in my head saying, it is happening again. And I say, shut up, giant. You don't know anything. I'm a holder of light. I don't know what that means, but maybe it means I'm invincible. And I keep running. And the lightning is getting closer and closer and closer. And I'm like, just keep running. Just keep running. Just keep running. And I look ahead, and I see these headlights driving towards me. And I'm like, am I dying? What's happening? And then as the headlights get closer, I realize it's my car. And the car pulls up next to me. And inside the car is Adrian. And she rolls down the window, and she goes, honey, come inside. And we go back up the hill, and we sit in the house, and she makes me some chai tea. (laughs) And I start thinking, maybe that woman at the storytelling show who told me about the darshan was my giant all along. Because in, in this moment with Adrian, what I felt was there's nothing special about being a holder of light. We all have light inside of us. What's really special is when you find somebody who recognizes yours. Thank you. It is happening again. It is happening again. Shut up, giant! Nothing can go wrong. Nothing can go wrong. Uh-oh. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well, that is almost all for this, the first Risk episode of our 14th year. This is Juju covering Audrey's dance from Twin Peaks behind me now. And we just heard from, well, we just heard from Quincy meowing behind me, but we also just heard from Sam Dingman, who, yes, indeed, did meet his girlfriend, Adrian Bain, after first seeing her share that story that made a man faint at the Risk Live Show in 2019. Don't forget to listen to Sam's beautifully crafted podcast, Family Ghosts, which is about families with storied pasts that haunt them or help them still today. Now, folks, don't forget the annual Risk Scary Stories episode for Halloween is coming very soon. And we thought it would be fun if Risk fans send in little audio recordings. Anyone can make them with the voice memo apps on phones. If you're interested, you would talk for about 30 seconds or maybe just try to keep it shorter than 60 seconds and tell us about your favorite Halloween memory or maybe the moment from a risk story that scared you the most 
or maybe the scariest thing you ever dreamed, or the scariest moment you remember from a horror movie. Could be any of those things. You can find tips on how to record good-sounding audio at risk-show.com slash recording, and you can email those voice memos right to our audio editor, John LaSala, at john at risk-show.com. That's J-O-H-N. We'll be right back. We're back. One more thing, folks. Don't forget that I, Kevin Allison, do one-on-one coaching for storytelling. Whether you're working on a business presentation, a wedding toast, a story for a show like The Moth. I also do a broader range of life coaching for folks folks working on podcasts or life transitions, long-term creative goals, memoirs, mentoring around alternative sexuality. I do guided meditations for people working on their self-esteem or mindfulness or issues with ADHD and much more. You can find me at kevinallison.com. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. I loved them back then, but now the thought of putting a cold, slimy hot dog in my mouth and eating it almost makes me want to gag. I had this friend, Kathy, and she just saw a penis for the first time, and she wouldn't shut the fuck up about it. Kabow! Come on, kitty. Time for your flea meds. Come on. Come on, kitty. Come on, kitty. Here, kitty. Come on, little. Come on, kitty. 